This is Stephen, not Walter, from Texas. And I never listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore. But I always listen to You Better Believe It with Brittany. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, welcome to the show and thank you for joining us. Episode 351 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, as always, Jesse Dollamore. And seated across from me, the lovely, the talented, yet that lady who just doesn't smile as much as you'd like her to. My lovely co-host, Brittany Page. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And also joining us, like a fungus you just can't shake, Drew Levine. I think it's about time that you just let me pitch a little tent in the corner of this studio. Yeah, I'm I'm getting... (laughs) Save some time. I put it on the the listener, the Dollamore listener discussion group. That's the name of it. I didn't name it, but that's the name of it. Yeah. And... uh, it was I, manipulative. I kind of got the vibe. No, I, it was for sure man, manipulative, but I kind of got the vibe that uh, they were a little too overjoyed at the prospect of you joining us tonight, <laughs> almost to the point where it could have just been you and Brittany doing the show, and they didn't give a fuck if I was there or not. Uh-oh. Well, my it, feelings were hurt, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> it warmed the cockles of my heart to know how much I'm loved by your follower base. It's, yeah. It's really, it's really nice. I mean... I appreciate the opportunity to come here, and I, I'm glad that people are finding some value out of the commentary I'm adding. Um, but or I'm, it's just a lot of Bill O'Reilly jerking it to the sound of your voice. <laughs> Could be that. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever it is. It, 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 <laughs> moving on. It's, it's good. Oh, God. Well, we, obviously, we have you here tonight because of the, uh, the events that came about. With the Mueller indictments and the notice that there was an arrest, but we're, we're gonna let's not get ahead of ourselves. We do have some voicemails, but before we get there, I want to talk about something that was uh, mentioned to Brittany um, from the the event we had with Michael Shermer at Cal State University Fullerton about um, she needs to smile more while on stage moderating a debate. Of lots of fun and levity, mm-hmm. you know, moral dilemmas and such. Yeah, I heard it more than once, uh, and more than once from the same person as well. Um, and I, I think I, I was talking to some friends and Whoa. some some lady friends, lady friends, you say? Yeah, and they felt that maybe this was important to talk about because it's something that they have also heard and that they have also experienced these comments about needing to smile more. And when I saw the comments um, after the event, I was kind of pissed off um, because it, it never, those things are never said to men. Um, so I didn't see comments about how Michael Shermer should smile more or Navrick should have been smiling more. Yeah. 
um, it's always like women that get these kinds of comments. And it gets frustrating for me because I am trying to balance these like two perceptions where I can be too serious and need to smile more. Or I'm the babbling Barbie girl with the blonde hair. Which is some is another charge that's been leveled at you, I believe, in an iTunes review. Yeah, and I think it's funny. I love it. <laughs> it's very funny. Um, but the... Well, because it's not emblematic of you at all. Yeah, I it's think... It's so off that it's hilarious. Yeah, I think that's probably why it's, why it's comical. Um, but the smiling thing, it's just... Ugh, how often am I going to have to hear this? Yeah. You know? Um, and I think that women on TV have to deal with it too, where they're trying to balance this role of like having these serious discussions. And then people also expect them to be like bubbly and friendly and cute. And I mean, sometimes you, you, you aren't going to be that. Right. Hmm. So uh, to push back just a little bit, and yeah. I fully agree with no, you. No, get out, Drew. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Bye. All right. Just push back a little bit. Um, the criticism of smile more is something that is occasionally applied to men as well. Mm. I experienced that when I was in musical theater. It was something that was said pretty often to me, you know, when I was in the context of performance. Mm -hmm. It's also been said to me as an attorney mm -hmm. when I've been, uh, when I've received some feedback from my professors, especially in my like trial advocacy classes. So that, that criticism does occasionally happen to men. Yeah. I do think uh, it is certainly true that it disproportionately is aimed at women. So it's, it's sometimes a little hard to parse out uh, exactly the intentions or the, you know, the thought process of people who love, who level this, you know, this criticism. Right. But it does exist out there. So. But I, you think it's primarily a, a female, a, a directed at women. I do think so, and I think, and the reason I think so is because, for some reason, uh, for whatever reason, um, it's society sort of perceives it more mm -hmm. when women uh, don't don't smile hmm. when they're performing. Do you think it's also there's a level of shittiness to it that, um, like for instance, somebody tells me to smile more, I'll say, "Why don't you fuck off more? Why don't you keep your fucking mouth shut more?" And then everybody's going to be good. But and that's acceptable for Jesse D, but for yeah. Brittany Page, that's not a that's not an acceptable response. Well, I'll tell a story. Oh, um, I love stories. Yeah, my <laughs> my first job <laughs> when I had my first job when I was sixteen, I was working in a hot kitchen, sweating. It was horrible, and I would never stop working because I that's that's just how I was. So anytime that's how you are now, anytime I had a down moment, I was clearing dishes and washing them, and so I just got like I was known as being this person who was basically chronically washing dishes because if I didn't have something to do, that's what I was doing. And my boss came back in the kitchen and and she pulled me aside. She's like, "Are you are you happy here?" And I said, <laughs> uh, "Yeah, you know, it's fine." And she said, well, you, you never smile. And I said, yeah, I'm like sweating and doing dishes for eight hours a day. <laughs> Should I be back here like, woo, this is the greatest. Yeah. yeah you look like a fucking crazy person. <laughs> I, yeah, it doesn't match. My demeanor wouldn't match what I'm doing. Um, even though cleaning is really fun. I was not enjoying 
the disgusting water with everyone's food in it. Yeah, and everyone's um, mouths that have yeah. been on their food. But even know? in that case, I get it because it's my job, right? And so I should I should look friendly to like the customers or whatever. Sure. Um, but but this was kind of different because everyone on stage was having a serious debate about morality and whether or not science can answer our big questions of what is right and wrong. Um, so there wasn't a lot of joking. It wasn't a fucking improv, you know, improv, uh, whose line is it anyway? Right. It's it's Michael Shermer and it's eggheads talking. Yeah, and it wasn't, oh, everyone up there was so serious. It's, Brittany needs to smile more. <laughs> That'll bring the mood up. Have you you guys have heard the term resting bitch face, right? Yes. yes. RBF. There's there's no analog for men that I'm aware of. There's no like resting asshole face. Hmm. It only applies to women. So. Are you shitting on your earlier point? Well, n- no, because I did I, <laughs> I, I said that this yes. this is, you know, levied against women far yes. more often. Yes. Um I'm I just was sort of pushing back on on the idea that it's exclusive. It's not exclusive to women, mm-hmm. but certainly it's disproportionately applied against women. Yeah, and I, I used to talk about my RBF, and I, I still probably talk about it maybe. I don't know. but That's more like joke, like a joke. Yeah, it's, yes. Because there's an acronym for RBF. It's, you know, it's it's become a colloquial funny thing, well, not yeah. like a real resting bitch face but it's i mean but people joke about it when women do it they don't joke about it when men do it and i feel like most jokes have some kernel of like yeah, societal sure yeah you know, well it's kind of societal like, comment to it it's kind of like a woman is called bossy if they're assertive right but a man's a fucking he's a man he's a winner that guy's a fucking boss yeah not bossy because yeah. if someone says you need to be less bossy that's well you need to shut the fuck up more yeah i mean i i just uh the look on your face jesse was really good just there (laughs) i think it's thank you and i think when i was talking to my friends about it it was more this issue of just striking that balance between being the serious person and also being the whatever people want when they say that you need to smile more um because what do people mean by that? I mean, it's difficult to try to, to strike that balance. So what I do is I just don't try and uh, I'm going to be up there not smiling. So that's what's going to happen. <laughs> well, you got to be you, you know, you, it, it, it would be uncomfortable if you're up there grinning like an idiot. Yeah. If the moment doesn't call for it. Yeah. And so to other women who have heard this and are frustrated by it. I think that's probably just the best approach if I'm giving advice. You're saying to take the Jesse D approach? Um, no. <laughs> I mean, if you want to, just be authentic. I mean, that's that's yeah. that's the the moral of the story here, right? Yeah. Be authentic. Be genuine. Yeah, I like genuine better. <laughs> we're, we're gonna go with genuine, Drew. Whatever. No. This is really tense. We're going with fucking genuine, Drew. There's a lot of tension here right now. Stop trying to goddamn pick the words we go by. Jesse, I wish you would smile more as you talk to me. (laughs) This is fucking bullshit. Feels really aggressive. Speaking of aggressive, let's get to some voicemails. We have uh, one holdover that we haven't been able to get to because of just life and shows. So let's get to these three, and then I think we have an email as well. Hello, Jesse. Hello, Brittany. This is Christopher calling in from Minnesota. Um, I'm, I'm calling in because uh, I was just watching some videos on YouTube about the recent attack on the DACA protesters, you know, the protesters that were protesting against Trump's uh, push to remove DACA. And um, 
the vehicle that had, uh, plowed through the protesters. Um, I'm, I'm grateful that they were able to catch, uh, the, uh, the individual that had, uh, attacked them, but I was watching interviews from CNN and even interviews back from when the protesters were, uh, attacked by the white supremacists back in Charlottesville. That was even rewatching some of those. And I keep finding myself, uh, confused and quite afraid of how this base that we call that, that supports Donald Trump doesn't seem to be fading away. We know that supporters are fading away. We know that other people are fading away. However, when you look at the Republican Party based on surveys, showing that a majority of Republicans are in agreement or supportive of Donald Trump is horrifying in of itself because not just it's not just the presidency that is an issue. It's his leniency towards these kinds of behaviors of white supremacy and neo-Nazism. Um, and they seem to be okay with it. When you watch these interviews in which protests, you know, these, uh, these supporters think that the, the, the protesters were in the wrong and that the person that had, for example, in Charlottesville, one of the interviewers was mentioning that, um, uh, the young lady that had died during the car attack, um, that it was horrible what happened to her, but he agreed that there were people, fine people on both sides, you know, that both sides were responsible. It's just the fact that there's so many Republicans in this constituency that believe that, that I'm afraid of. And I wonder, is there anything that Americans can do to relieve this? I mean, what can we do, really? So it's, even if we get Donald Trump out of office, that problem's still going to be there four years, eight years down the line. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, it could be Russian propaganda that's doing this to them, but it's hard to say. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much. And um, Brittany is the best part. Bye. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. You are wrong, sir. <laughs> you are wrong. Um, listen, Christopher, l- let me say this. A- about if Donald Trump goes, these people will see- still be here. That is true. However, I believe Donald Trump gave these people voice in a way that no other candidate in modern history has done. Since, like, George fucking Wallace. Um, I believe, it, it is my opinion, since we have a third here who might disagree. Fucking Drew. And you can't tell when he's about to disagree. Yeah, I know. He's, like, nodding Let with me. me push like, back yes. on that. <laughs> <laughs> I do believe that Donald Trump has given... These anonymous trolls who used to have Pepe the Frog as their Twitter avatar, that now it's, you know, Gary Jones or, you know, Gus, whoever. It's the hoods have come normal off. Normal people, that's right. Yeah, that now they are they are unabashed racists. They believe that they have a voice in Donald Trump and a support structure in this new uh, constituency. They're no longer the silent majority like they used to call themselves. So I believe that when Donald Trump goes away... So will that that underlying permission to be out and racist. So there's maybe some solace there, some some consolation for you. Um, the other thing I would add is that they'll be dead soon. <laughs> well, there is the attrition argument. I don't call it dead soon. I call it attrition, Brittany, because uh, I don't want to sound like a monster, <laughs> well, like a fucking monster. It's a euphemism, Jesse. I mean, we all know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
The other thing is, you ask, what can we do? You just keep fighting the fight. You keep being a good person. You keep making the good arguments. And eventually, you'll change a few hearts and minds. And if you change a heart and a mind, and then they change a heart and a mind, there's a snowball effect there. It's not a tidal wave of progress, but it's little by little. And that's that's what we can do individually. You, you can't expect to change the world on your own. You do your small part. Let's also remember that Gallup's latest poll has him with the new low of 33% and a yeah. new high disapproval, uh, 62%. So, yeah. Again, like I was talking about last time, there's a slow evaporation of Donald Trump's base. That base that we thought was so rock solid is starting slowly to evaporate. Well, the other thing I would say is that on top of the phenomenon that you described and i agree with you i don't know why you thought i was going to disagree with you on i'm this just point. being a dick give me a chance <laughs> i'm getting you back for all of my all of my lovely listeners adoring you hey and and poo-pooing me let me have my moment in the sun man <laughs> so obviously donald trump and the way that he behaves has given that uh, has given this uh this corner of the world a voice mm-hmm. but i think it also sort of creates a new phenomenon I think, you know, it It sort of reminds me of, you know, how teenagers sort of go through a phase when they see something that they think is cool and they sort of latch onto it until it's not cool anymore. Mm-hmm. I kind of think that the way that Donald Trump operates might be sort of inspiring a large number of people to sort of go through sort of like an alt-right, white nationalist, you know, sort huh. of troll phase. And it's going to lose its luster eventually because it's not delivering anything. It's not creating any meaningful policy. The, you know, the sort of tough guy, Teflon Don mystique is fading away as things start to From develop. From Donald Trump, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree yeah. with that for sure. Yeah, so I, I think that, you know, some, part of the reason or part of the way that we can sort of explain the erosion of his support is that he's not new and interesting and dynamic anymore. He's just sort of like... Or invincible. He's not invincible anymore. He's sort of, he's becoming old hat. Yeah. And so the the old smashed shit stained hat. Yeah. Yeah, that nice polished like tall like top hat that he was wearing has <laughs> become like a bowler. And yeah, that's right. It's crumpling away. It's going to be it's like It's like a, an accordion. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be one of those newsy hats eventually, you know, where it's like flat and smashed. Again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's I mean it, it's an old hat. Like he's he's losing his luster and I think people are going to start fading away and you're right. You know, keep being an, a good, genuine, authentic person that, you know, stands for what you believe. And the people in your social network and your community will see that and they'll be affected by it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thank you, Christopher, for the call. We appreciate it very much. Let's move on to, uh, you know, it's, they're all tangentially related. This is more about the religious right. Hey, guys, it's Aaron in Oklahoma. Um so I've been hoping that that these guys on the on the right in our country would eventually catch on to the lying, uh, false statements, um, things that can't be backed up by anything logically considered as fact. And lately, with the with our fallen brothers in in Niger and the treatment towards their towards their families and and widows. It has become apparent to me that maybe that won't happen. So I've been trying to draw a line and figure out why that is. And I'm working on something. Um, 
maybe you guys can help me. It seems to me the evangelical Christians and the conservative right wings are in bed. And I, and I think it may be our latent religious culture where we're, we're likely to presuppose something is correct, so we just go with it. And that's, that's intrinsically human, I think, but, but the evangelical Christians, I think, exemplify that, you know, I think something is right, so anything that contradicts that must be wrong. And I'm wondering, is that, is that, a logical conclusion? Should I take that further? Um, am I being too cynical? Uh, would just really like um, like you guys' comments on that. Um, great debate the other night. You guys hammered poor Shermer. Keep it up. Well, let me let me try to wrap my arms around what I think is your question, Aaron. And that is, it's kind of along the same lines as the other the other caller, Christopher. That are these evangelicals and these religious right characters? Are these Joel Austins or more more aptly these these Pat Robertson characters? These Jim Jeffress characters? Are they are they giving um, permission to be irrational, or are they creating that irrationality in this in this far right Donald Trump cadre of voters? Is that kind of what you guys got? Uh, possibly. Okay. Yeah. What's your stab at it? Uh, I mean, I, I think you explained it better than I could from what I think he was getting at. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I I, I, uh, I definitely think there's a power in these charismatic figures. And unfortunately, they've chosen to use their their pulpit, their their platform, to further the agenda of social... Um, transgression, uh, regression. We're moving backward. They would. They want a a 1950s society where trans people are in the closet, hidden away. That that they they want to take the Ahmed Ahmadinejad type of uh, take on it. That oh no, my friend, we don't have problem with homosexuals in Iran. We don't have, that's an American problem. We don't have homosexuals in Iran. <laughs> yeah, you do, Dick. You just kill them so they keep their mouths shut so you don't know they're there. That's kind of the, the way that I see that the this new flavor, they're not even really that new since Jerry Falwell and the original orig- religious right in the 80s, they've been very aggressive toward tamping down individual liberties, civil liberties of people that don't harm anyone else like being born gay and living your life as a free person. Well, my sense is that none of these guys are actually being honest. They're all just sort of flowing with whatever wind the populist tide is sort of blowing. Sure. So they're they're following what they see the trend as being because it's going to make them money, it's going to keep them notorious and they're going to continue to bilk their followers for all you know, these tithing donations and whatnot. Yeah. So, you know, taking that premise that that they're actually not authentic, I I think that people do look to these sort of uh, authoritative figures for sort of reassurance, and they give them reassurance because they're being paid to give them reassurance. So I don't really think that they're actually creating this problem. Hmm. I think they're responding to, to, you know, sort of the, the sort of 
human nature of being suspicious against uh, anything that that doesn't uh, conform with what we're what we're. Well, they're used also to. clearly responding to the words of their holy book. Although I, I don't I don't even necessarily think that that's true because people have so many Come different. On. No, I don't even think that's true because some <laughs> people have different takes on what that holy book means. You're right. People are there are a lot of people who are wrong who are twisting their fucking minds in in a, in a rap trying to justify when it clearly says in Leviticus what it says. That if you lie with the man, as you lie with the woman, you should be dragged to the edge of the, the, I, the, the, the city and you should be stoned to death. I don't. Paul, talking about in Corinthians, women are to keep, the, this is apt for you, Brittany, women are to keep their mouths shut and their heads covered. <laughs> and that yeah. what, the, a woman is to not have authority over a man. These I, are, these I are thought te- that Aaron was talking about the evangelical support for Donald Trump, blind yeah. support for Donald Trump. Right. And well, he, we just the, the topic kind of got shifted when Drew... When, started was, to blaspheme <laughs> no when he, well he's talking about that they they're they're following the social mores or the the social norms or the social um winds of change and i'm saying well not necessarily because it is driven by their the, faith in the, their book the book does not the book doesn't guide them what guides them is what the social trends are because there are like you know episcopalians for example are not that hard-nosed about like the the uh you know the homosexuality issue. They don't. They don't dig their heels in the way that like Baptists do. Yeah, good for them. It's watered down bullshit, though. It's not. It's not following what the Bible says. Right, but depending on what a person wants to believe about the Bible, that's what they're going to believe about the Bible. Yeah, but, you're right. I don't. I don't disagree with they that. They say. They say. I mean, it's just as black and white that shellfish is an abomination and that you can sell your daughter into slavery in Leviticus. That is just as black and white. But people don't want to believe that shrimp is is an abomination. True, talking like an atheist over here. Yes, you're right. I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah, no, they want to eat shrimp. They're ignoring the word of God. They're ignoring their Bible. Which says to me that it's really not about what the Bible says. It's really about what they want the Bible to say. Okay, I, I get so, that. So but, the, but you the, can't say that it's not in there. It gives them... There, there's some turn of phrase that says, it says something when the most fundamentalist of a faith are, are assholes. It lets you know that the fundamentals of that faith is bad news. The Bible is malleable, is the point I'm trying to make. Well, you can you can twist and contort it to say almost anything that you want it to say. Yeah? And so... Get, so, it, get it to say so, that, that women are equal to men. So going going back to That's Aaron... That's a rhetorical question. I'm not really willing I could. to do that. I could, and I'll do that next episode you bring me on. I'll bring, <laughs> I'll bring a, a This set might be of scriptures. your last episode, Drew. <laughs> going... <laughs> Going back to Aaron real quick and his his question, would uh, the support from evangelicals be the same if Jerry Falwell Jr. wasn't constantly singing the praises of Donald Trump? Is his does is his influence meaningful with the evangelical Christian community? I don't think so. I mean, I think that the people that believe that way are going to be inclined to follow a strong man like Donald Trump one way or the other whether or not yeah. they can find justification in the Bible or not. But they also followed Ronald Reagan, and he wasn't a strong man. He was a sufficiently strong man in, ah. the way, in his rhetoric, for sure. Mm. Like the way that he talked about the Soviet Union. 
Yeah, but that's that's not strongman totalitarian against the people. He spoke about liberty and he, he talked about freedom and a shining city on a hill. He didn't talk about the things that Donald Trump talks about. But he's he al- a, a different leader altogether. But he also talked about cracking down on the elements of society that were sort of rogue and were taking us in in, in yeah. a bad direction. Yeah, so did Bill Clinton, probably more so than than Don- Ronald Reagan. People like that shit, man. I mean, that's <laughs> for sure they do. It and, makes them feel comfortable and safe. Yeah. I mean, what, you Ron- see what you started here, Aaron. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> we we have to move on. Although I would, we could do a whole show on this because I would love to show everybody how wrong you are about this whole Bible thing. <laughs> and I'm sure the audience would love. Actually, our audience is varied enough that there's probably they're splitting sides right now, Drew. Yeah. Speaking of this whole religious thing, though, I want to say I was on a podcast. Episode 115 of Inciting Incident podcast with Marissa McCool and a trans woman. Uh, had a beautiful time, a great talk, very wide ranging politics, both uh, LGBT issues, all of that. Uh, I would suggest you go find it. Again, it's the Inciting Incident podcast. Show her some love, subscribe to her show, check out the episode. And let me know what you think. I'd love to know. Uh, let's move on to our last voicemail, and then we've got an email. How y'all doing, Jesse and Brittany? This is uh, Sean from Virginia. Um, long-time listener now. Uh, just finished listening to episode 346. I had a little comment about the uh, asshole up today. And um, I just want to start off by saying, number one, I don't care what a woman wears. There's no reason in this world to put your hands on her or anything of that nature. I want to start off by saying that I don't care if she's naked or with clothes on. But I do want to say that I feel like this country has forgotten the difference between what's right and what's real. What's right is like Brittany Page should be able to come out of her campus and walk into a dark corner or a rapey corner, as she calls it, (laughs) with the guy smoking a cigarette and sit over there and have a good conversation. That's what should be right. But what's real is... If you go into that rapey corner and there's a guy already there, you might possibly get raped. Or what's right is you should be able to leave your keys in your car overnight and nobody takes it. What's real is they probably fucking will. (laughs) And I feel like, to me, I feel like a woman should be able to wear whatever she wants. But everything in this world has consequences. If you're wearing clothing that's designed to attract attention to certain body parts, meaning a push-up bra with a halter top, with a skirt that barely covers the bottom of your booty cheeks, and a thong, people are going to look at those regions because you're wearing clothes designed specifically for that fucking reason. So am I saying that wearing those clothes says, hey, rape me? Fuck no. But what I am saying is wearing those clothes puts an idea in a man's head because let's just be honest ah. we've been children we've seen the shows where the ugly girl quote unquote wears the big oversized sweatshirt and the jeans and then she gets asked to the dance and voila she has on the push-up bra and the heels and she's a hottie you don't look in maximum to see the girl in the sweatshirt you look to see the girl in the halter top so that's what we've been programmed to say is sexy and put sexual thoughts in our minds should we act on them no but in reality would somebody fuck yes and I just wanted to let that be known. I, I feel like y'all are still doing a wonderful thing. Uh, love the show. Hope you don't kill me on this. I don't really want to be an asshole of the day. <laughs> but uh, love you. Britain is the best part. But Jesse D, YouTube videos taking care of motherfucking business. Have a blessed day. 
Love the show. Brittany's the best part. So I love Sean and I have a, a question for him. Um, does he not like to see Sofia Vergara in a sweater? <laughs> is he totally grossed out by Sofia Vergara when uh, she's wearing a sweater? He's like, Ugh, let me, Ugh. let me answer for myself. And I assume this is the answer for Sean as well. He, he doesn't mind looking at Sir, Sofia Vergara in a sweater, in a turtleneck. Yes. Yeah. That, that would be the correct answer. Yeah. In a snowsuit. Yes. And I think he's he's using different language there. So he says um, that obviously they're going to look. Yeah, I wrote that down. Look isn't rape, I wrote. Yeah. So sure, they're going to look at the boobs and the push-up bra and the, the thong and the, the ash ass cheekies. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, if those things are visible, I, I think that, that they will be looked at, not just by men, but by women. Um, yeah. So... Can I also say, um, rape, one, I don't buy that rape is only a crime of power. I don't buy that. It is a sex crime for sure. But a rapist is a rapist. You got a burka on, he's going to find a way to get his rape on. A rapist is a, there's a sickness there that doesn't need to be explained away or justified or anything else. He's a fucking rapist. I believe it should be a capital crime. I still believe that. But... They're going to find a way to rape, whether you have your ass cheeks hanging out or whether you're dressed like a fucking Amish lady on the prairie. Yeah. When you use the phrase, put ideas in their head. Yeah. Well, I, th- I just think he's not being, he's, he's being imprecise in his language. I think I understand what Sean's saying. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I'm, cu- I'm just taking up for Sean. Okay. Well, relax. Cause I love Sean. And why do you got two middle fingers up in the air right now? He's not asshole today. <laughs> uh, but it's not going to. She doesn't. It's not going to put rape ideas in their head. Yeah. Um. So I think that's the main takeaway. Listen, if you're not a thief, sorry, Drew. If you're not a thief, and you see someone with a dollar bill hanging out of their back pocket, you're not going to steal it. If you're a thief, you're going to steal it. When I see people having money hanging out, I don't think, ah, oh, I think I want to steal that money. I think, <laughs> oh fuck, I want to tell that guy, hey man, you got money hanging out of your pocket, and yeah. you should take care. Well, for me, it just depends on how much money is hanging out. <laughs> but wow, <laughs> just kidding, sort of. I, don't, I but, did not believe it was a joke. All right, so the, that's I, prick I, shit, bro. <laughs> that's prick shit. I don't, th- I, I don't think there's any rational relationship between what a woman's wearing and the uh, likelihood of her being raped. Uh, and I, I've got a couple of uh, statistics or of, of fact points to sort of push back on. If it were true that what a woman wears has a rational relationship to the likelihood of her being raped, how do you explain the fact that Alaska, of all states in the United States, has the highest incidence of rape? Yeah. They wear freaking cold, uh, winter clothes almost year-round there. That they're not going around in bikinis or in you know midriffs, yeah, with their ass hanging out. Or how about uh, nude beaches? Yeah, There's probably a very low likelihood of rape well, on a nude beach. Well, the rate of rape in France is like one fourth of what it is in the United States. And yeah. in France, you know, you have you know a lot more. Um, Pretty permissive. It's permissive. <laughs> there's 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 more nudity in advertising. There's more public nudity. Um, or there's more there's more general exposure of the female body, 
And if there was a, rela- a rational relationship between how much a female is showing and the likelihood of her being raped, you would think that the rate of rape would be much higher in a place like France. It's an awesome point. So I don't think I don't think that relationship exists. And I think Sean, uh, you're not an asshole, but I think you're very wrong on this point. I just think inarticulate about that connection. I, it's just I just don't think the connection is there. Yeah, I would also say that I, I think it's fair to say that there are still things you can do and should do to protect yourself from from these things happening. Don't like, get blackout drunk. Well, and like he said, the leaving your keys in your car and then, you know, if you're mad, it gets stolen. Well, obviously, you, you shouldn't do things that are going to right. uh, put you in yourself in danger, right, of, of having a crime committed. Um, that's why when we told the story about the USC campus, I was talking about walking to my car and being on alert, right? Yeah. I don't want to be um, surprised by anything. Well, also, we need to draw the distinction that if you, let's say, like I just made a mention of, of getting blackout drunk, it doesn't mean if something happens that it is your fault, like the victim of of Brock Turner. Mm-hmm. It wasn't her fault that she got raped, but the likelihood that she would have been raped had she not been blackout drunk diminishes greatly. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's there's. It doesn't a, mean she's culpable. Sorry. Right. There's a way to sort of proactively protect yourself from being a victim. Yeah. In almost all types of crime. Sure. Sure. And again, that, the dollar bill in the back pocket. Thing. Yeah. That's not. I mean, that shouldn't be a controversial point. And anyone who thinks that's a controversial point is just being silly. But at the don't same, don't be silly. <laughs> don't be silly. But <laughs> at the same time, I I don't think that. Uh, what a woman wears has a relationship to this and i think that's the point point. and you made some salient points sean do you hear that drew thinks you're super wrong super wrong god damn all right uh one email and then we're moving on this is from alex hi jesse and Brittany and drew i added that in there uh <laughs> i've been a longtime listener of the podcast and after listening to episode 350 i couldn't help but find myself tearing up in remembrance of nikki From a listener perspective, she was a favorite caller of mine as well. In fact, the last Thanksgiving episode I listened to on my way to work and unfortunately lost my shit during her segment. I went into work with makeup all over my face from the flood of tears and I couldn't that I couldn't stop from her inspiring message. My boss at the time told me to go outside and get it together. I just want to say it is a beautiful platform you have created that a girl from Arizona can feel some unknown emotional connection to a woman she's never met from the Netherlands. She will be missed not only from the hosts, but from the listeners as well. On a more uplifting note, your girl just got her first raise out of college and I plan on contributing soon since I will hopefully be a functioning adult soon. (laughs) Patreon, here I come. I do wish I found the courage to call in and communicate more often, but I oftentimes don't feel I can accurately articulate what I want to say or the questions I might have. Plus, no one likes the sound of their own voice. Anyway, that's my two cents. I appreciate you guys. Brittany's the best part. Goddamn. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Um, two things. Well, three things. One, uh, thank you for your kind words um, yes. about Nikki. We, we're still very torn up about it, and... Uh, it's rough. Secondly, for those of you who are like Alex and are having a problem with calling in because you can't get your thoughts together or whatever, hey, write a little write a little outline or, yeah. or just write a script and read what you're going to say. Yes. And then third, come on. Everybody doesn't like this. It's very rare that you're like me and you have this dumb sound falling out of your face when you open your mouth. I don't mind the sound of my voice. I don't think you mind the sound of your voice. 
But we're weirdos. Most uh, people don't like the sound of their voice. Or maybe I, you get used to it. Yeah, I think it took me a while to get yeah. used to it. But, you know. So you, so get over your shit, I do want to say, though, about, about, your uh, voice. about calling in. Um, you know, I don't know if you listened to the early episodes, but... <laughs> It takes a while to find your voice yeah. and and feel comfortable talking. I mean, it's difficult, uh, especially if it's an emotional topic or something that you're very passionate about. So I think an outline is a great idea. Um, just write things down that you don't want to forget to say and just go with it. Yeah. We would love to hear from you. Good practice, too. Yes. Good practice. We are always our own worst critics. And I promise you, we'll love the sound of your voice because you sound like a very thoughtful and genuine person. And that is very true. We, I mean, everything, but specifically the uh, we're our, our worst, our own worst critic. Yeah, for sure. Except for Jesse, apparently, who loves the sound of his own voice, always has, for, always for sure. will. <laughs> for sure. What a bunch of dicks. My voice is the best. <laughs> Support for I doubt it with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and. Good-looking listeners like you, by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollamore. So we're going to do something different. We have two different patrons who have upped their pledge. Cindy and Eric. Cindy and Eric, you guys are awesome. We appreciate the the extra awesomeness. Yes. All of our of our contributors are awesome. And even if you give a, a higher amount, you're no more awesome. You're just somebody who's in a in a position to give more money, and we love you guys. Thank you very much. But I think we also have a new patron. Nathaniel. Nathaniel, who by the way, was on the Patreon call on either Friday or Saturday, mm-hmm. and yoink, he ducked out. I was trying to talk to him, yeah. and he fucking boned out real quick. Yeah, you did. So. You put the call on hold for like a five five full minutes. You were trying to get his attention, <laughs> say hi. Can you hear us? Hi, yeah. Nathaniel. <laughs> Not very professional. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, the other thing is, uh, listen, it is holiday time. And that means Christmas time or Kwanzaa or, you know, whatever, some of these other ones. Hanukkah. Christmas Hanukkah Kwanzaa. Christmas Hanukkah Kwanzaa. Chag Sameach Lekulam. Levine, what is that? Uh, what, what's the national? It's Jewish. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're buying your loved ones and your acquaintances gifts, all of that trash can be bought on Amazon. If you're going to spend your money anyway on Amazon, why not help your favorite show filled with news News and ridiculous comment? Go to dollamore.com slash Amazon, and it'll forward you right to Amazon using our special, special code. We also want to uh, take some time, which we never do this, to say, uh, follow us on Twitter, at Dollamore, at Brittany E. Page. Levine dot Drew or no Levine underscore Drew Levine right? uh, Levine Drew I think it's just one word all of that will be in the show notes okay next time create an easier Twitter user yeah, I don't, I don't Come even, on. no you guys do the Twitter thing I don't even use Twitter that you much. need to get your shit together and get on the Twitter all right all right and also <laughs> go like the Facebook page I doubt it with Delamore podcast and leave us an iTunes review that helps people find us um, don't use profanity 
do not use profanity because it will they not will not through. show it. Again, go check out that podcast I was on, The Inciting Incident. And uh, moving on. Stalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So before we move on to the topic du jour, which is the Mueller indictments of Manafort and Rick Gates, the lesser known Rick Gates, I want to talk about two different conspiracy theories that are running rampant right now, that if you have a Trump voter in your family or on your Facebook feed, they are likely not talking about the arrest of Paul Manafort or Rick Gates or George Papadopoulos. They're probably talking about how the Clinton campaign, quote unquote, colluded with Russia by paying for the Russian dossier, the 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 dodgy dossier, like Carter Page calls it, or they're talking about this Uranium One deal, which is also a complete fabricated fuckery story, complete bullshit. Here is a little clip about the Clinton campaign and how the DNC helped fund that steel dossier. You know the PP papers. Breaking news, CNN learning tonight that Hillary Clinton's campaign and the Democratic National Committee helped fund the research which led to the controversial and, frankly, uh, salacious and disgusting in some of its allegations dossier that detailed alleged Russian efforts to help Donald Trump's presidential campaign. The Washington Post was first to report this. Out front, one of the reporters who just broke the story, Adam Entis with the Washington Post. Adam, good to have you back. So uh, let's just start with the bottom line here. Clinton, uh, the Hillary Clinton campaign and uh, the DNC. What exactly did they do? Well, I mean, they have a lawyer, uh, and that lawyer uh, went about looking uh, to hire research firms. Uh, one of the firms uh, that uh, they hired was this company in Washington here called Fusion GPS. Mm -hmm. Fusion GPS, in turn, subcontracted out to Christopher Steele, the former British intelligence officer, uh, to help uh, get information about Trump's relationships in Russia. Uh, those, in, those reports that Chris Steele produced were then passed back to the lawyer who was representing the Clinton campaign. Uh, wh what we don't really know is how that information was then relayed to the campaign. Uh, uh, our understanding from talking to people who were close to the matter is that those actual Steele reports were not directly handed to the campaign. So we don't really quite understand how the information was passed, who got the information, right. uh, and, uh, and, and we, you know, obviously we want to know, uh, you know what they did with that information after they received it. Right, right. And these are, these are crucial questions. Now, as for the dossier itself, I just want to remind our viewers, um, uh, look, it's about 30 pages or something. It's obviously widely available out there. We don't talk about it because it hasn't been verified. But we have confirmed that some of the conversations as reported in this dossier between foreign nationals did occur. So some things uh, in it appear to be true. Others uh, are completely uncorroborated at this time. What you're saying, Adam, is that it's unclear whether it was finished and packaged as we now can see it and handed to the Clinton campaign or not, right? Well, I think the answer to that is it, it was not. It, okay. it, it, these were, so these reports were being produced uh, on a regular basis. Every few weeks, every few months, uh, he would prepare, uh, Chris Steele would prepare a new report, which he would give to his, uh, the people who were paying him, Fusion GPS. Fusion GPS would then want to tell, uh, you know, the lawyer for 
for the Clinton campaign, who, who, who he's representing, uh, what information was being collected. Uh, and then and that information was then being given to the campaign. The way that was being given is what we don't really understand. How high up in the campaign did that information go? We don't really know. I, but like you said, the point is, is that the, much of what Steele said, or at least some of what Steele said, is not that different from what the intelligence community later discloses in January, which was mm -hmm. an effort by, an, uh, uh, you know, alleging that the Russians were working to try to help Trump. That is one of the main findings of Steele's investigation. So even though, yes, we are revealing here that uh, the Clinton campaign's money and the DNC's money uh, was being used, I at least in part, to fund this investigation by Chris Steele, that doesn't mean that what he produced uh, was not accurate, was right. not inaccurate, or, you know, it, it, yes. it, some of the information was clearly accurate and is borne out by what the intelligence community later disclosed. Right, which is obviously a crucial point. Now, when you say the money, do you have any idea how much money it was? No, the people we talked to wouldn't tell us. They told us that uh, the, uh, the, you know, the amount uh, of money paid to Fusion GPS was, was shared between the, the campaign and the DNC. Uh, but we don't know what the dollar figures are, uh, and we don't know exactly how that was broken down between the two organizations. So, Adam, I want to, you know, the point that you're making here, right? I mean, in, in whatever word you want to use for this, whether it was intelligence or opposition research, right? Um, whoever's paying for it, they, uh, Christopher Steele, this uh, former British intelligence agent, agent, went out and got this information, some of which is true, some of which is uncorroborated. Uh, um, you're also reporting, though, that uh, Fusion GPS, this firm that had been doing research on Trump, had already been doing research, opposition research, on Trump during the Republican primaries. Yeah. Okay. Who was paying for that? Was it Ted Cruz? We, no, we don't know. Um, we're not sure who that Republican client was. Uh, when Fusion GPS was hired by that client, uh, they, they, they did not know that Russia was going to be the main focus. At that point, they were hired you know, Trump was a relatively unknown in Washington. Uh, you know, he wasn't disclosing his tax returns. He, you know, he was, uh, you know, there really wasn't a lot of information out there about his business ties and, and, and frankly, his foreign relationships. So they were hired along with other firms to do some research. Initially, they were hired by a Republican client who remains uh, secret, that has not been disclosed. Uh, in, in March of 2016, uh, according to uh, the law firm for the Clinton uh, campaign, uh, Fusion GPS approaches the lawyer representing the campaign mm -hmm. and offers to basically con have, the, have the Democrats continue funding the research that they were already doing on behalf of, of a Republican client. So there's a lot there. Not too much to unpack, though. What you need to know when your Trump supporter mom or dad or uncle or aunt or cousin or friend or acquaintance anybody else that i missed mm. niece <laughs> nephew yes yes random facebook troll or random stranger yeah uh when they when they come to you with this that the the, the, the hillary clinton colluded with russia by paying for this dossier one even if that were all of the truth that's not colluding with Russia. This is oppo research. This is getting dirt on an opponent, which started with a Republican. They thank Ted Cruz, but they don't know to find dirt on Donald Trump because they need to take him out at the legs. 
Even Republicans do it against other Republicans. So it was started with them once he started gaining traction. Hey, Jesse, can I cut in real quick? Yeah, um, do, do some damage, son. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this story is a little bit old, and I haven't followed him in the last two or three days or so. But I watched Hannity today, and it's actually not that old. He was presenting some fresh evidence. <laughs> fresh? <laughs> yes. Well, uh, so this is, a, this is an article from October 28th from CBS News that, okay. that says that the conservative entity that is responsible for funding Fusion GPS is is a site called the Washington Free Beacon. Which is nutters. Yeah, which is like a nutter, like, conspiratorial website, is, is, is my understanding. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's I, that's my estimation of them. For I don't. Sure. I don't patronize it, but they. I think not. They and maybe Ted Cruz indirectly, but they are the ones that are initially hmm. responsible for funding right. the so, GPS research. So, so that, that that research started with a Republican conservative entity. It got set aside, let go because he started doing well, and they realized that oh, this might be our guy. Well, he we, won. Yeah, we don't want to continue to do damage to our guy. And then the, the the firm that had started the research goes to the Clinton campaign and says, "Hey man, we got this shit that got started. It's already halfway done. We give it to you at a discount." That's <laughs> kind of how it went down. It involves a P tape. Yeah, and so they they paid for the rest of it. Now keep in mind, we're running really long here. Keep in mind that this wasn't released. The Democrats didn't release this before the election. So so they're telling me, Republicans are telling me that the Democrats paid for this, all this money. They're saying like $12 million for this and then kept it under wraps until he got elected. Get the fuck out of here. That's not how it works. They would have released it to hurt him prior to the election. And, and there's also no relationship between the source of funding and the truth content of the dossier. Right. There's no that there's no relationship that you can establish there. And as you said, many hands have sort of put their, you know, sort of thrown in their ante yeah. to, to fund this research. And the the thing that's crazy about this is how rapidly conservative pundits are trying to tie this to Clinton when you're talking about like four degrees of removal. Clinton hired. Uh, Mark Elias, I think, is the name of the lawyer, mm -hmm. who in turn hired Fusion GPS, who in turn hired Christopher Steele, who in turn, you know, pressed his Russian contacts. Yeah, we're talking like three or four degrees removed from any foreign hostile foreign nationals. It's really weird that they think that this is a smoking gun. It's also not just Republican pundits, though. I mean, you have Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Today, during the press yeah. uh, briefing, saying there is clear evidence of collusion with the Clinton campaign. Right. Well, that's just language that they use to make it seem certain when it's anything but. But there's so much going on that no one even asked her about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because there was so much to address yeah. that no one had time to be like, wait a minute. What did you just say? Where is the evidence that you yeah, have? It's like us. So there, we, we only cover like one fifth of. What what five percent of the news because there's so much shit we can't do it. Well, and, and you know national policy is being driven by pundits these days, right? I mean, Fox and Friends is on in the morning, and Trump's tweets follows Fox and Friends. Yeah, it's what the conservative pundits say that dictates the attitude of the Oval Office right now. <laughs> yeah, that is sad. It's really sad. So 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 the other thing, the other conspiracy right now that you're going to be hearing about, and you probably have been hearing about, is Uranium One. 
which was a deal that was proffered by a Canadian company to buy uranium from the United States and then sell it off to their client base. Now, this is being proffered, postulated, as a Clinton conspiracy to sell United States, like 20% of United States uranium supply directly to Russia. And it is... It is just that, a wild, insane conspiracy theory. Listened to Joy Reid. I believe it's Joy Reid. That's her name, right? Over at MSNBC. That sounds right. She decimates this conservative talking head when she's trying her best to make this gain traction. The last week or two, that there was a Russian spy who was getting close to Hillary Clinton. This was reported in the mainstreams. You have Bill Clinton, is who was We're not going to get to real, but I want to ask you a couple fact-based questions. Sure. Who got the money when the Canadian company was sold to the Russian company, the Iranian one? Uh, who received the money? I presume the company, but look. Yeah. Okay, there. second question. Mm-hmm. Who approved the sale? Because when any sort of uranium or any company that sells sort of sensitive type products, and by the way, the uranium that's mined in these Mines, right yep. is for nuclear power it's not for nuclear bombs right but when that happens there is an organization called CFIS that approves it do you know what CFIS stands yes, for? yes absolutely what does it stand for? committee on foreign investment in the United States how many people sit on that committee nine members how many have to approve a deal like this uh, all nine, nine of them, members I believe. how many absolutely. approve this deal uh, nine of them. Did Hillary Clinton sit personally on that deal? No, but she, she did pushed not. for it. She, no, she and did you know not. What? I'd no, 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 hold on. Here. Who is the person yep. who donated to Hillary Clinton who is related to and had an investment in Uranium One? What is that person's name? Do you remember their name? Uh, they are board members of Uranium One, donated up to 100, I think it's Hustra, $143 million. Tom Hustra. And when did Tom the Clinton Hustra, Foundation. did he own any assets in Uranium One at the time that Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State? You know, I don't know that, he but here's what I would... Sold them. Here's what I'd like before. to know. So hold on one second. Should, we no, want to know sold too. them years before. Yep. So what you're talking about is a deal that <laughs> nine members of CFIS approved unanimously, none of whom was Hillary Clinton. You have a donor who separately gave Hillary Clinton donations at a time when she was not Secretary of State. The two things cross in the night. They have no relation to each other. The members of CFIS have been very clear that Hillary Clinton had nothing to do with approving that deal. She would have had to strong arm eight other people in order to get them to unanimously approve the deal. And ultimately, the President of the United States would intervene if they saw any problem. The CFIS people say now, if that deal came before them today, they would still approve it unanimously. There's actually nothing about the deal that's controversial. The only reason we're talking about it is because, per your even admission, which I think is very honest, the RNC would like us to be talking about this now. I want to bring Catherine Rempel in on that. So I've seen a lot of pushback to people saying that this was um, good on Joy Reid's part. And it's so obvious that it is because you listen to people ramble on all the time. This is going to be a dated reference, but Jeffrey Lord, for example, who would just talk and talk and talk and talk. I don't know who the new Trump supporters are on those panels. He's the former Secretary of State of Missouri. Less memorable uh, than Jeffrey. But... This has to stop on these news programs where people are allowed to just go on and on yeah, and speak their talking points and say nothing that's factual and they need to be called on it. And that's exactly what she did. She said, here's a question. Answer it. Uh, uh, don't say any more than the answer. <laughs> yeah. Next question. And we need to see more of well, this. Well, especially because there was a there was a curt answer to be had. There was brevity. In, in, in an answer that was available. It wasn't, well, I need to explain. Oh, it's not as easy as that. It is as easy as that. 
Who gets the profit? The company. Who who approved it? All nine cabinet officials that needed to. There's it's not a well but 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 no, you don't need that. Sometimes eh, there is. There's nuance in an answer. This isn't one of those cases. In uh in a courtroom setting, if a lawyer was cross examining a witness like that and a person tried to give an answer to a question that wasn't asked the person doing the cross-examination, the lawyer, might ask the judge to instruct the witness to just answer the question. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. she reminded me a lot of a really good lawyer in that examination there. And she got she made the point that she wanted to make, and it was really good. So the reason I brought these two instances up, the dossier funding from the DNC and Uranium One and the, these two bullshit stories is because they're being talked about now in lieu of the historic indictments that were brought down by Robert Mueller this morning. We got warned about it on Friday. CNN, once again, you know, fake news, CNN, they broke the story that it was going to happen. In fact, there was conversation on the Facebook page that, oh, you're going to fall for the, the fake news train, CNN, huh? Look, dick. We'll wait until Monday and see what's fake news. Because of all the things that CNN has reported since the election of Donald Trump, I can't recall one that they've been wrong about. I'm sure that they've made a a correction here or there, but not consequential enough to fucking call them fake news. No. So, here's where we stand right now. This morning it was announced. Go ahead, Brittany. Well, I just wanted to say that it's so funny hearing these people call CNN fake news when Fox News all day had the opportunity to talk about this and instead they were having segments on the different cheeseburger emojis. The con- <laughs> the controversy with the cheeseburger this emojis. This is no shit. She's not kidding. And then Slate has this fantastic headline. Fox News did a great job covering the Mueller in- indictments. Then Shepard Smith signed off. Because he's the only one. Yeah. He's the only one over there who you can actually expect to hear the truth. I was watching um, Seth Meyers does a pretty good job in that uh, closer look or whatever that segment he does. And they did a great job of showing Fox News several different anchors, several different segments saying... Hillary Clinton, is this the real Russian collusion story? Is this the real Russian story? Yeah. You had Judge Jeannie. Judge Jeannie Janine. Piero. Jeannie Piero, oh. yeah. And, um, She's the worst. She, oh, goddamn. She said, lock her up. She said, lock her up, huh? On TV. I'm actually calling for it. Lock her up. Uh, I'm saying it. I'm saying it. Uh, how brave and bold of you to sit there on Fox News but imagine and call being for the someone, arrest. And- imagine being someone who's only watching Fox News. Yeah. And that is where you sure, get your that's information. Exactly right. And you have, you believe right. that all other news sources are fake news. Right. So this morning, which is Monday morning, tomorrow it'll be Tuesday for you when you're listening to this, but it was announced A wide-ranging indictment, many charges on Paul Manafort and Rick Gates, the deputy. Paul Manafort was the chairman of the Trump campaign. Rick Gates was the deputy. Including conspiracy against the United States of America, conspiracy to launder money, and other charges. Paul Manafort faces 15 years in prison. That makes him... 
probably going to die in prison if he gets the maximum sentence, which is eh, unlikely. Although, if he doesn't cooperate, I could see them really throwing the book at him. I would have to defer to your knowledge and judgment, Drew, on that that end of things. Well, they certainly will seek the maximum if he doesn't cooperate. Yeah. So, his lawyer, he surrendered. I did confer with Drew today about, is that still considered an arrest? Drew confirmed Yes, it, it is, is an arrest. It is an arrest. Because you are detained against your will. They book you. You're he, arrested. He's in the custody of government authorities. He is under arrest. So, he is under house arrest. That is the deal. Rick Gates is also under house arrest. A $10 million bond bail for Paul Manafort and a $5 million bail for Rick Gates. Rick Gates was represented by a public defender. Today. A federal public defender. That's interesting. For this leg of it, I think. I don't think he's had time to maybe get counsel. But he certainly has money because we're talking about like f- almost $50 million in in foreign payments from the Yanukovych administration in Ukraine. Yeah, I don't, I don't really understand that because typically uh, public defenders are only offered if you can't afford to pay. Yeah, I... It's very weird. Yeah. So I, I don't know how to account for that. Maybe he has some financial problems. Well, maybe it's just he, there was no time. Maybe he wasn't aware that this was going down. That wouldn't be an excuse typically. No. At least not in my experience. Huh. Wouldn't someone of that level have an attorney as well? You would think so. In you, this position, yeah, doing you, you, these you, things? You would think so. I mean, that guy, if he didn't know that he was vulnerable, he must be really, really stupid. <laughs> well, it would fit the it would fit the the mark for all these other idiots. It would. They're the worst criminals in the history of criminals. But they've not been so stupid to not know that they needed representation thus far. Well, Carter Page was on without a lawyer on MSNBC tonight for many minutes. That's narcissism. That's not. <laughs> I mean, that that's that's him thinking that he's invulnerable, right? I mean, <laughs> okay, but, yeah. but like you know, in the, in the but it's also it, stupid in in the the greater Trump universe. Even the lawyers are lawyering up, right? Yeah, no shit. Yeah, <laughs> so it's it's hard for me to. I, I can't account for it. I'll I'll, I'll reserve judgment on why uh, <laughs> Mr. Gates has a public defender and look into it and see if I can figure that out later. Well, speaking of stupid or narcissistic or 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 whatever. Manafort's attorney came out onto the sidewalk like a fucking carnival barker. He didn't even have a a bank of microphones and just started screaming at the press. Just unhinged is the only word that applies here. Well, I think you all saw today that President Donald Trump was correct. There is no evidence that Mr. Manafort or the Trump campaign... Are we sure that that's not Alec Baldwin doing doing a lawyer? <laughs> We're sure Donald Trump was right. China, China. It doesn't reflect well on our profession that you can pay someone enough money to literally say anything that you want them to say, no matter how stupid it is. Listen to the rest of it. Have you heard this yet? I've not. No, this will be this will be a treat for me. This it <laughs> it's gonna be a treat. Colluded with the Russian government, Mr. Manafort represented pro-European Union campaigns for the Ukrainian. And in that, he was seeking to further democracy and to help the Ukraine come closer to the United States 
and the EU. Those activities ended in 2014, over two years before Mr. Manafort served in the Trump campaign. Today, you see an indictment brought by an Office of Special Counsel that is using a very novel theory to prosecute Mr. Manafort regarding a Farrah filing. The United States government has only used that offense six times since 1966 and only resulted in one conviction. The second thing about this indictment that I myself find most ridiculous is a claim that maintaining offshore accounts to bring all your funds into the United States as a scheme to conceal from the United States government is ridiculous. Thank you. You're welcome. So, well, first of all, the Yana filing thing, that's just fucking smoke and mirrors. The federal government's only used this six times since 19-whatever and only got one conviction. Immaterial. Completely fucking immaterial. Because... What Robert Mueller is likely doing here, and I will defer to to Drew again, that's why we have you here, sir, he's fucking turning the screws on Paul Manafort. Before I get there, the turning of the screws, is the assertion that the work that Manafort was doing was to draw Ukraine closer to the United States and thereby the European Union is fucking bullshit. Because where's Yanukovych right now? He is in exile in Russia. (laughs) If he was a pro-U.S. candidate, I spit all over my microphone, if he was a pro-U.S. candidate, a pro-European Union candidate, he wouldn't be hiding in Russia under his desk like a coward. That was the man that Paul Manafort represented. Those are the interests that he... Rep- Why are you looking so crazy, Brittany? I'm looking crazy? Yeah. Uh, You're looking shocked. I don't think I'm looking crazy. You think I'm looking crazy? Uh, I didn't say that. Wow. You're, it, just, you're very things excited. Things took a turn here, folks. <laughs> no, Drew. It, Drew. Yeah, no. Drew is meditating. Save me here, Drew. Save me. <laughs> All right. Let's enter Drew's Zen zone. <laughs> <laughs> Get back to a an even plane here. Um, no, that's that's absolutely right. I, in, in my estimation, because Robert Mueller, he's tooting his I'm own tooting horn. my own horn, Drew. Stop trying to interrupt it. Do not interrupt the tooting of the right. horn, sir. Sorry, I didn't know how sacred that was. You can find corroboration in the Bible. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, so, oh, I go. Hey, hey, now. <laughs> All right. So. Robert Mueller was brought onto this investigation not with the intention of investigating financial crimes of Paul Manafort right. that occurred 10 years ago. Right? That's this is sort of incidental to his primary purpose. Uh it was there. He found it very obviously yeah, there. It was there, he found it, and any good prosecutor is going to use whatever leverage he has in order to get to his ultimate objective. Well, I was going to say, how just a little illumination for you folks. This is what he's doing. He had all of these tens of millions of dollars in payments for political consultation to the Yanukovych administration and his campaign in Ukraine. And rather than just take that money in and pay taxes on it, he filtered it in through all these different businesses and offshore accounts 
had those particular businesses buy high-priced real estate all over the country, and then it was paid for real estate, then he personally took out home equity loans on it and used that money to pay for shit. Hence, quote-unquote, laundering the money, although a very clumsy attempt at laundering the money. Well, it's no it's no breaking bad, no. you know what I mean? It's, I mean... <laughs> I I feel like there's this mystique that you know powerful and rich people are really brilliant yeah. at what they do, and I gotta think that what Paul Man- <laughs> not really Paul Manafort, but not very smart with his uh, his brilliant laundering scheme. Well, I gotta think that the kinds of things that Paul Manafort did is actually a lot more common than we realize for, yeah. for people who are in analogous positions. There's just not a bright, shining light of a presidential campaign yeah, that exactly. has collusion yeah. uh, accusations. Exactly. I yeah. mean, the, the, the spotlights are not turned on guys like Manafort normally, but yeah. because of his connection with Trump, that's why Mueller was like, all right, this guy probably has a lot of dirt because of who he is and how he operated. He can't get that rich without some sort of shady shit going on. So let's take a look and start digging. And this is what he found. It was there. And then you're like, wow, he spent over $900,000 on antique rugs. <laughs> hey, the guy just likes him some rugs, Brittany Page. Uh, apparently. Apparently he does. <laughs> A lot of rugs. And over $800,000 on men's clothing. A That's million dollars worth of men's clothes. Pretty good wardrobe that he has. So, yeah. So there's. Wow. Well, the- he has to fill up several houses. So, he bought a four and a half million dollar, sorry, a four and a half million dollar condo in in Trump Tower. Ugh. Uh, uh, man. So yeah, so there's there's shit there, and it's illegal shit, but it's not uncommon illegal shit. And Mueller dug dug it up, and he's doing something about it. I think with the express purpose of trying to figure out more about what his primary objective is which is what happened in the 2016 campaign. So he's turning the screws. He's turning the to screws to get him to flip. Yeah. On Trump. That's my I mean, we don't we can't know for sure. I mean, Miller's probably the guy that would have prosecuted him anyway yeah. just from finding it. But I got to think that it's probably with the intention of trying to catch the bigger fish because there's probably a bigger fish here. And here is the other thing is that if you're worried about Donald Trump Pardoning Manafort. Don't get ahead of yourself with your worry yet because Robert Mueller is in close proximity and communication with the Attorney General of the state of New York right now, I believe, to press state charges against Robert or uh, Manafort for these very same things, right. which Donald Trump can't pardon. He can only pardon state charges. Federal charges. I'm sorry. He cannot pardon state charges. Only federal charges. Right. So Robert Mueller is smart enough and wily enough that he's he's given himself an out there or a possible out because, well, for one, New York State Attorneys General are historically fucking tenacious. Yeah. Elliot Spitzer, for one, was he, a goddamn maniac. He was a legend. He was doing shit that I thought was a little... Like, you know, antitrust lawsuits against Apple because they charge a dollar for a song. I mean, he goes a little crazy. <laughs> so anyway, that's what's happening right now. This not, might not be super adjacent to Donald Trump, but it will eventually be. 
if 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 Robert Mueller's plan comes to fruition. Yeah, and I, I don't think this news is surprising. It's significant, but not surprising, because we already knew that Manafort was being scrutinized. We already knew that he had a history of advising foreign governments and that there was probably some weird stuff going on there. None of this should be surprising to anybody. This is the natural course of things. I feel like there's other stuff that's more surprising about what happened today. Do you know what snitching does? Snitches get you what? Snitches get stitches. Snitches get stitches, Drew. Paul Manafort would be well advised to understand that. And I don't... (laughs) I don't think that we talked about uh, who Rick Gates is, but he's just a former the business de- associate. He was, wait, that's right. Former of business Paul associate. Manafort. Yeah. And deputy campaign chair. Um, they're thick as thieves, these two. Donald Trump was fully, fully on board with Manafort, um, which also connected him to Roger Stone. But Rick Gates is a close, close uh, friend and, and business associate of, of Manafort. Yeah, I just want to say that I saw Trump supporters today posting that this isn't a big deal. And I cannot imagine what the reaction would be on Fox News if a president, a oh, Democrat yeah. president, uh, their their campaign manager was arrested. Well, let's let's do just that. Let's listen to White House Press Secretary... Sarah Huckabee Sanders, when questioned about this, and how, eh, no big deal. Paul Manafort had a limited role on the campaign. No. And then there's another guy we're going to talk about, George Papadopoulos. Papadopoulos. Wow. That was a good one. At least you didn't say George Stephanopoulos like Wolf Blitzer did today. Wolf Blitzer did that today. How does that guy still have a job? It is unbelievable. So we're going to play Sarah Huckabee Sanders Really just limiting everything. Oh, no. Papadopoulos, we don't... Ah, that guy, he he was a volunteer. Well, you know who else was a volunteer? Paul Manafort didn't take a salary. Donald Trump wasn't taking a salary. Donald Trump right now isn't taking a salary and can be considered a fucking volunteer. Our volunteer president. That's right. So here you go, Sarah Super Smart Huckabee Sanders. Uh, Sarah, uh, first... like to get uh, the White House reaction to the indictments of Paul Manafort and Rick Gates and the agreement with George Papadopoulos. And specifically, I know we, we have heard a couple of tweets from the president. If you can help me understand, when he says, why aren't crooked Hillary and the Dems the focus, is the president saying that special counsel Mueller should really be investigating Hillary Clinton and the Democrats? And is he going to rule out once and for all firing Robert Mueller? Look, I'll address the second question first. President uh, said last week, I believe it was last week, and I've said several times before, there's no intention or plan uh, to make any changes in regards to special counsel. Uh, but look, today's announcement has nothing to do with the president, has nothing to do with the president's campaign or campaign activity. Uh, the real collusion scandal, as we've said several times before, has everything to do with the Clinton campaign, Fusion GPS, and Russia. There's clear evidence of the Clinton campaign colluding with Russian intelligence to spread disinformation and smear the president to influence the election. We've been saying from day one there's been no evidence of Trump-Russia collusion and nothing in the indictment today changes that at all. But the George Papadopoulos agreement is about the campaign. Uh, 
It is specifically about the campaign. It has nothing to do with the activities of the campaign. It has to do with his failure to tell the truth. That doesn't have anything to do with the campaign or the campaign's activities. Wow. But it is the clearest evidence yet of ties between the Trump campaign and Russian officials. So Again, there are no activities or official capacity in which the Trump campaign was engaged in any of these activities. Most of them took place well before uh, the campaign ever even existed. That's prick shit, bro. That's prick shit. That, Go ahead, Drew. Take it away. That is some prick shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's unbelievable for her to make that assertion because the substance of what Papadopoulos lied about exactly is collusion with Russia. That is exactly right. So how can you say that it has nothing to do with the campaign? How can you say that it has nothing to do with collusion with Russia? That's the substance. Which brings us to the other point, which was the surprise today. This wasn't an indictment because this gentleman, who was a foreign policy advisor for Donald Trump, one that on March 21st, 2016, when Donald Trump sat down with the the editorial board, the editorial review board, the Washington Post, he named five names as being his go-to foreign policy advisor staff. One was Carter Page, who we know is likely to be indicted. And the other was George Papadopoulos. Well, now George Papadopoulos is just some kid. Oh, he's just some 29-year-old kid. Just volunteer. Well, when when he mentioned him in the Washington Post article, he said he's an energy and oil consultant. Excellent guy. Excellent guy. So he's singing his praises. Yeah. So now we find out he's not a part of these indictments because in July, after getting off a plane at Dulles International Airport in Washington, D.C., he was fucking snapped up by the FBI and arrested. He was arrested in July. I got to hand it to Special Counsel Mueller and his team for not allowing this to leak yeah because that is that's something for him to have been in custody for that long or at least to have been under i don't know he may have bailed out but for him to have been under the thumb of special counsel and his operations for that long and nobody knew about it well they certainly let him out because july august september october he pled guilty to the charges of lying to federal investigators, yeah, federal agents, and in the meantime, in in the the documents that they've made public now, he they describe him. What's the word? A a proactive asset or a proactive uh, <laughs> uh, collaborator or something. He he is helping them actively in the investigation. There's no other way to look at it. He's, a, a, a July arrest and an October plea, uh, plea of guilty, he's fucking wearing a wire. Yeah. he. I mean, he still may have technically been in custody, like in, oh, in, right. ho- in house arrest or uh, sure, sure, you know, sure. wearing an ankle bracelet or something like that. Yeah. But it's, it's remarkable that nobody knew about it. Nobody's been talking about it. And this huge bomb drops about what exactly he pled guilty to today that I think is the biggest game changer that we have seen ever since this whole investigation started. And you know, let me know what you think, you know there are buttholes puckering all over Washington of people who spoke to George Papadopoulos between July and October when he might have been mic'd up and like, holy fuck, what did I say to that guy? 
What did I say that might get my ass in a sling now? And that's exactly what Robert Mueller wants. Yeah. I mean, assuming that they're actually smart enough to realize their danger. Because apparently Carter Page doesn't realize his vulnerability right now. (laughs) Well, and right now, they don't know where Papadopoulos is. Because he knows. Snitches get stitches. (laughs) He's worried, I bet. Yeah, I'm sure he's under... Uh, he's being watched by FBI agents or yeah. whoever it is that's that's on his security He has spoken channel. through his lawyer and said he's said what he's going to say. GTFO. Yeah. We're we're done. We're done talking other than to the feds. Yeah. So I, I have a I have a little bit of experience with the uh, Department of Justice prosecuting people mm-hmm. and what their modus operandi is. Lay it on us. So what they typically will do when they have sort of a, a low-level offender that's part of something bigger is they'll bring them into like a room and do what's called a proffer. So the the person, the offender is brought into the room with his lawyer, uh, typically, or her lawyer, and the the prosecutors, in this case, it's Mueller. Uh, in other cases, it's, you know, the, the, the uh, U.S. attorneys. But sure. in this case, it's Mueller. Uh, will and sur- his wildly experienced team. Yeah. His He's w- got a guy on his team that's argued before the Supreme Court 100 times that's impressive god damn it's legendary (laughs) that's pretty that's pretty so they bring him in the little cage in the room so they bring him in the cage in the room with the one way the one way glass yeah and they'll they'll take the the federal sentencing guidelines which is like a you know a four inch thick book of all the terrible things that can happen to you if they actually prosecute you yeah scare the fuck out and they'll like drop it like down in front of you (laughs) and like create a huge boom and say this is what you're facing now yeah if you don't cooperate and I mean, I imagine that Mueller just scared the bejesus out of this guy. <laughs> and it doesn't matter how experienced his lawyer is because, you know, U.S. attorneys and, and federal prosecutors are hard asses. Yes. You can't. Well, you, they have the weight of the federal government behind them. They have the weight of the federal government behind them. They have all the, they have all the power, the investigative power of the federal government. And they have, they typically have you. Like if you're if you're being proffered with something, they have you. Yeah. And you're you're not gonna get out of that. Yeah. So all of my criminal defense attorney friends that have commented on this. Are they also Ivy League educated Drew Levine? <laughs> not all of them are yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say this. They're they're all very competent, yeah. very experienced attorneys. Right. <laughs> Let uh, me be a dick once in a while. God damn, get all clammy. <laughs> So they're all very common, very experienced attorneys. They're all of the opinion that the information that Papadopoulos has has to be very valuable to the FBI because the thing that he pled to only carries a maximum penalty of five years. So you're saying, if I'm understanding you correctly, if he didn't have that much to offer, they'd probably just fucking throw the book at him. Yeah. And really lay it on. But because they're going easy, well, the, that's the charge yeah. and it doesn't carry that much heavy that he's he's pled it down under the the understanding the agreement that he's going to cooperate. Right. So so federal stitches get stitches. <laughs> federal federal attorneys are really really fucking good. Yeah. At making federal charges and adding enhancements. I've seen the sh- the, the show billions on Showtime. I yeah. know. I know all about They this. are so good at turning <laughs> a small offense into something that carries like a 20-year penalty. Oh yeah. Yeah, and they will they will go for it because they are hard asses. They have no sense of humor. They're terrible people. I mean, they're <laughs> <laughs> They're good people. I'm sure they're good people in their own way, but they they will punish you. Right. To the fullest extent of the law. 
And the fact that they gave this guy something that carries a maximum of five years means that they really value his contribution. So this guy is going to be a game changer. I really believe it. I think this is the biggest. And I've, I was a guy that was sort of skeptical of the whole Trump-Russia yeah, investigation. This. Yeah, We I, used to have little 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 tiffs about it. Yeah. I always, tiff, Brittany, <laughs> not tiff. I know. I always thought that the real story here was probably going to end up being Donald Trump laundering money for the Russian oligarchs, which may still be true. Yeah, that could very well still <laughs> that be That may true. still be true. That may be, I mean, be compounded with this. But the fact that this guy who is directly accused of collusive activities being this valuable to the special counsel, I think is something that's very significant. And I think that it's really going to change the way that we think about what's going to happen to Donald Trump. And he is just the first. The first domino. He's the first arrest. Yeah, he's the first domino. What does that tell you? There's a lot more to come. This is a long, lengthy, protracted investigation. And they've already got a fucking linchpin in place. Also being that we didn't know about it until now. Well, and and this is that's a that that that's a, a good point because it's what else don't we know? Holy shit! Right, yeah. and it's a lot earlier than I thought it was going to be too. Yeah, I mean this this happened really fast. I mean, very very with fast. Watergate well, it took like two years. So I've been telling the audience, calm down. It's going to be a long ride. We don't know. It's it's really that's just the fact that we don't know anything is good. That because that means they're doing the investigation very well. Jesse D in the Zen zone, being real calm, encouraging everyone to follow what? his lead. Channel- I try channeling once his in a while. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> what a bunch of dicks. Well, I don't know. If- I'm not always this guy. Oh, Trump, <laughs> baby. We got some Hillary bitches on here. Come on, oh, man. No. <laughs> I I think that. Mueller is missing a really important piece, though, because Mm. Donald Trump tweeted today and he said, also, there is no collusion in all caps. That must be something that Mueller overlooked. Yeah, I think that he's not taking this into consideration. (laughs) I mean, he's clearly saying that there is no collusion. Well, why don't they just go talk to Donald Trump? That seems... Yeah, he knows. Like what you do. It's in all caps. How can you argue with it? Well, you didn't say all caps. That that changes everything. Yeah. Well, well, was we, it a period or an exclamation it's point? It's an exclamation point. Oh, yes. very serious. Yes. Well, we don't we don't know everybody who was directly involved in this, of course, but it's abundantly obvious at this point that at least some people were colluding or at least attempting to collude. Well, attempting to collude is a crime. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's conspiracy. Yeah. Don Jr. Dopey ass Don Jr. and Jared Kushner and we Paul know, Manafort and Paul Manafort. We know what that meeting was about. Right. We've seen the emails. We've seen the subject line. They tried to get information. They were at least willing to take the meeting in the event that it was presented to them. That's criminal. I'm yeah. a lawyer. I'm just a real cool guy. <laughs> but that, by everything I've read. Yeah. That is criminal. I, I think you could you could definitely make the case that they they committed a crime there. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't make the case, but someone could. Yeah, a U.S. <laughs> a US attorney a U.S. attorney could make that case yeah. and probably convince a jury to convict for sure. All right, everybody. Well, listen, we're going to leave you there. A little extra long. You got something else? Well, I I just want to say that they are now reporting that Donald Trump is very upset about all this. Oh, weird. <laughs> you don't say. He's not having a good night. And he's been in contact with Steve Bannon. 
Oh, Jesus. Who is encouraging... That, that is not going to result in good advice. Steve Bannon is encouraging him to aggressively push back against Mueller. So... <laughs> Listen... If he takes that advice, I think we we might be seeing some tweets soon that yeah. are aggressive. Robert Mueller is unimpeachable. No pun intended. Robert Mueller is a stalwart, well-respected on both sides of the aisle, and always has been. He's not a guy who is like Comey, where he does something to Hillary Clinton and all the Democrats hate him, but then as soon as he comes out against Donald Trump, all the Democrats love him. He's not like that. This is a guy who is beloved on both sides. The longest-serving FBI director since the deplorable J. Edgar Hoover. Well, here's uh, here's hoping and keeping our fingers crossed that uh, the recent uh, floodgate of revelations of sexual assault don't impact Robert Mueller and oh, wow. <laughs> undermine his credibility. Uh-oh, you know something? No, you know, I just... I mean, a lot of people that I didn't expect to be perpetrators have... Uh, have been identified by victims. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's uh, <laughs> man, that would be a bummer. That, that would be a bummer. That, you, you just put a whole chink in this whole thing. Sorry, man. God damn. <laughs> All right. You. Well, I guess we're gonna end the show now. <laughs> hey, no, be hopeful. I, I this this is this is this is a hopeful show. Things are things are looking up. For sure, they are. This is very good news. Um, progress beyond anything we thought would be this early. So, we will leave you there. If you have questions for Drew, for Brittany, any questions for the dumb guy, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. As always, we would love your support on Patreon. If you are in a position to give a little bit extra than you normally give out of your budget, like a cup of coffee, Go to dollamore.com slash Patreon. There you can pick your, your your donation level. Maybe we'll send you some stickers. You can join us every month on a, on a Patreon. Uh, we call it a Google Hangout, but it's not on Google. It's on a thing called Zoom, which is awesome. We have a good time. We would love to see you there. The other thing, again, it is almost Christmas time. It's almost holiday time. It is gift-giving season. Go to dollamore.com slash Amazon. And buy all kinds of terrible shit that you're going to regret. If you're going to spend your money there anyway, we get a little piece of it. You don't spend any more. It's a win-win. And a win, because Amazon gets a little money too. We love you guys. We appreciate you. And we will see you next time. For Brittany Page, Drew Levine, and me, this has been I Doubt It. No goodbye, Drew? Hello. Ah! (laughs) Ha ha ha!